friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. So happy to be here with you today. Happy Thanksgiving. I feel real honored to be with you, with your friends and your family as you're spending today with your people. I hope you're listening along as you're finishing up whatever you're cooking, or maybe you're listening while you're recovering from all you're eating, but I am really, really honored to be here with you today. Maybe you're just catching us sometime in the weekend as you're traveling around, which is awesome as well, but happy Thanksgiving. I'm super, super grateful for y'all. Hey, the music in the background, we're switching it up because Christmas is starting today. If you're listening to this, I bet Santa has already been on the Thanksgiving Day Parade. The music in the background, it's from our good buddy, Mr. Phil Wickham. It's from his new album, Christmas. Make sure you grab a copy, start spinning it right now. It is excellent. It's excellent. It's excellent. And y'all are going to love hearing him on the show in just a couple of weeks. Today on the show is a dear friend, a a really important conversation and someone that I have just loved and respected for years. Amina Brown is an author. She's a spoken word artist. She's a speaker. She's just kind of everywhere and one of the people you want to know. So make sure you give her a follow on social media so that this is your introduction to Amina. It's not the last thing you hear from her. There is a lot, a lot, a lot of good coming for that woman. So for our special Thanksgiving Day episode, nobody better than our friend Amina Brown. All right, Amina. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready as I'm going to be. What a joy to have you surprise us in the office today because we wrote the day (laughs) down wrong. (laughs) It does just feel, I mean, as we talked about today, for some reasons, it's very... um, emotional for me and I've had to make some hard decisions and you're just the friend who could show up at the door and me go, you know what? I still would love to sit with you. I mean, I'm glad this worked out. So providential, huh? Yeah. Let's first talk about one of two places on the planet I've ever talked about dating was on your podcast. <laughs> this is true. We and had a good old you talk. You got me too. to say some things, Amina. We had a good old talk, How though. How do you do that? I think it needed to happen, though, because I think there is a generation of people who are in our same age group that were growing up on some messages and then didn't get married when we were 21. Yeah. That's right. And we're dating into our late twenties, into our thirties, into our forties. And then it was like, okay, running out of books. (laughs) (laughs) And were those books right in the first place? (laughs) Right. Like running out of the stuff Uh that's supposed to be like what you do right here. Because now I got my own place. Some of us had already bought our own homes by then and had your whole routine of life. You were not living with your parents then and all those things that, you know, we were told then. So I think that really helped a lot of people because you're talking about it. You know, yeah. you're like at your girlfriend's house, wherever you are, you're talking about yeah. it. But like for the two of us to like to have go. this discussion. Yeah. And in particular, I don't want to use the term public figures because that just sounds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. sounds strange. But doing what we both do yeah. for a living. Yeah. And that that adds some elements right. to your dating yeah, life. Yeah, because I'm scared. I don't want to be, I love her and respect her. I don't want to be Taylor Swift about my dating life. Yeah, right. Where every album or every book for me that comes out, every album for her, people are trying to guess who he is. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. so I struggle with how to talk about my experience in dating without every man feeling like I'm using them as fodder for my public life. Right. Right. What's the solution to that? (laughs) Man. And then sometimes I think the more parts of my life, the more I allow parts of my life to become public, there are certain things that I would like to remain private as well. And I think we might have talked about this on the episode, but I feel like 
in some of the time when you and I were in our like teens into our 20s, mm-hmm. there was this idea as a Christian that you sort of develop this platform based upon whatever that is. So right. maybe if like if you're single, then you become the person that talks about that all the time. Well, then it's like, what if I don't want that to be my platform? Mm. What if like I have other gifts like it's not just like this station of life where Mm -hmm. where I am Mm -hmm. I have all these other things including my singleness right that are me right and what if my singleness is for me and my friends and God and whoever I date and what if it doesn't belong to you yeah right yeah I I wrestle with that because wrestle. I always get in trouble when I make wrestle jokes because we had a podcast with John Christ where he was like, oh, wrestling, only Christians use that language. <laughs> but I do struggle with that because where is that line yeah, right. between leading with my life and having a private life? Yeah. How have you sorted out that line? I feel like it's something that I have to discern between my close family and yeah, friends yeah. and therapy. Hey, you know, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, and waiting until, well, I, and I will say this, I think it has to be a very personal decision too, because I'm not a person that can heal and process publicly. Mm. I know some people who can, right. And that them processing publicly is a part of their healing. Right. So I don't judge that. I just can't emotionally multitask that Same. way. Same. Emotionally I'm, multitask. Yeah, I can't do that. If I'm processing publicly, then I'm not healing. Yep is probably what's happening. So a lot of the things that I end up sharing publicly are months or years of me processing, Mm -hmm. healing, people that are Mm -hmm. close to me walking through it. And when I'm at a point where I feel like I can take someone asking a question about that Mm. at the book table or some random place where I am, and I know I'm not that tender about it still, that I would break down and cry right there. Right. Then I'm ready to have a discussion about that. But uh-huh. while I'm in the process, I just, I can't do it, Annie. Emotional multitasking is what I cannot do. I cannot tell our friends listening about a breakup when I'm in a breakup. No, can't do it. And I can't tell them about the cute new thing that's starting when the cute new thing is starting. The real truth, since you just caught me, we're on a, it's mm-hmm, you. Here we are. Here we are. The real truth is I can barely invite my friends into the hope right. of a new thing starting oh, yeah. who sit across a table from me. How do I invite all of our single friends who are hoping for themselves to into my little bit of hope if it's going to be broken? Yeah. And I, I can't figure out how to do that. And I think it's, I think it really is like this step-by-step case-by-case thing. Yeah. Like there are some times that I've been on a podcast and I'm like, hmm, I don't normally share this, Yeah, but I feel at a point of health to share this. Like there's a poem I have called uh, Dear TV Sitcoms. And my friend Salita has a podcast called I'm Simply Artistic, Uh where she interviews different poets about a piece they wrote that was part of like a healing journey. And when people hear Dear TV Sitcoms, it's a hilarious poem to do. It's just all about these 80s, 90s sitcoms and our parents letting the television raise us, yes. <laughs> you know, all I feel these like I've things. I've heard you do it. Yeah. yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, so I love the piece. But I told her, she was the only podcast now, you know, yours included, that I shared this, uh-huh. but it was actually going through infertility that made me start to write that poem because oh, that wow. made me be like, you know, there's a way that people find out they're pregnant on television and like that ain't a thing, uh-huh. like in real life. Like, woman's at work, starts looking through her calendar and is like, wait, did I? shuffles pages wait is it 
shuffles pages. No, it can't be. Best friend who's her coworker, because your coworker's never your best friend. <laughs> but in TV, always is. Uh-huh. And coworker walks up like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I think I'm late. Just leaves office. We right. don't know what leaves time office. it is. <laughs> Just walks out. Doesn't have to check and in with anybody. always a uh, um, drugstore. Oh, right there. It's super convenient. It's super convenient. <laughs> right there across the street, goes and buys this test, then proceeds to go to the bathroom in one's workplace mm-hmm. where bunches of other coworkers who you clearly don't want to know mm-hmm. your business right. are shuffling in and out of the same bathroom. But there you are with right. your best friend coworker, like right. checking this pregnancy test. Right. And you're like, there we are. Oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. Yeah. How do I tell this person? Was it a one night stand? There's all these things, you know. And that made me be like, that is a way that I thought adulthood was going to go based mm-hmm. upon me watching Cheers and Growing Pains and whatever right. else this was, right? right? And so I was at a point and I'm at a point right now in my healing journey where I can like say, that's how Dear TV Sitcoms got written. Because I was like, Dear TV Sitcoms, I am mad at you. Yes, You teach me things yes. <laughs> that are not how life is going to go, right? Yes. But at the time that I was writing that poem, could not have articulated that. Mm-hmm. And even still for me... In my journey, there are certain things that I just close it off with people. Even when they come up to the book table and they're like, don't you have any updates for us? What's happening? I don't. Everything mm-hmm. I wanted you to know is in the book. Yeah. And everything else is for my people. Yeah. It's not for the public. And I think that's hard being people who are speaker, writer, blogger, artist, whatever it is we're doing, because we do feel like a part of our business, yeah. so to speak, a yeah. part of our ministry for those people that would describe it that way is this connection to the community that we're sharing our things with. And I think it feels dishonest to us if we're not telling them everything sometimes. Right. Right? Yes. But I don't think that has to be considered dishonest. I think sometimes it's wisdom. Mm. How did you and your husband meet? Did y'all grow up together? Oh, no. We met at church. Even though I swore up and down I was not going to date a man, I met at church. I was so tired. And th- But you did. I did. It's <laughs> like the two, the two things my mom said. <laughs> she was like, meet a man at church and be friends before you date. And I was like, both of those are dumb, mom, uh-huh. and that's terrible, and I'm not listening to you. And I just wasn't having good luck with men at church. Yeah. I think they would look at me and be like, hmm, think she's attractive, maybe not domesticated. What is it Lizzo says? Uh to get a man, you got to know how to look. To keep a man, you got to know how to cook. That part. I was like, sorry. Like, and at the I time. I got you 50 50. Yeah, please. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, guys. And at the time, you know, I was going before. Before I met Matt, I was going to a predominantly white church in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. very large, unnamed. And it was mostly like most of the guys, they were like white guys, dockers kind of vibes, like tucks in the shirt, like loafer type situation. Mm -hmm. And there was like a certain type of woman they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And she like bakes muffins in the middle of the day. And, you know, there was just some things they wanted that I was like. I can bake a muffin now, you know, I'm a Southern woman. I can get in the kitchen if that's what we need. Also, I'd be having books to write though. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So now I'll get more muffins done when I'm on a book deadline. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're going to get home and a chapter got done and no muffins (laughs) got baked. And are you going to be with that? That's right. So I was booked at a church actually. And Matt was attending there. Okay. And we connected on MySpace. 
Atta Moment girl. of silence. Hey, listen, there ain't nothing <laughs> wrong with the old meet at an event and follow up online afterwards. Oh, yes. There ain't nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that move. We get that MySpace, and I would mm-hmm. invite all my Atlanta friends to my yeah. events on MySpace. Yeah. So that's how we connected. We were friends for two years. So if our friends are listening, they're 35 and single or 45 yeah. and single. Would you still say friends first? Man, not necessarily. Okay. I think for both of us... It worked out really well. I think I was coming from just like dating a lot of scallywags. <laughs> a girl. Tons of pirates. Just pirate you know, after pirate. Just wasn't going well. So I think I think having that time to know him outside of where we may have felt the need to impress each other. Like I had already been in my sweats and my flip flops and in front of him. Yeah. And not that's really why I always like, think I could fall in love with someone on a bus tour because they literally see me go to bed and wake up that on part, a bus. <laughs> that part was like, there's no makeup around here. No. This hair isn't done. No. Like the first date we went on felt very strange. That was my first time being like, oh, I wonder what I wear. Like, oh, he'd already seen me in my little $5 sweatpants I got yeah. from Forever 21 yeah. or whatever, Rue 21, whatever. Rue 21. You know, Let's the go. one in the outlet, please. Oh, right. You know where it is. Speak a word today. <laughs> yeah. So I. And y'all been married, what, 12? Eight years. Eight. Okay. Eight years this year. Was seven. Everybody says there's a seven thing. The seven year itch, a seven year run in. Was there like a thing at seven? I do feel like at seven years, I wonder if seven years is a meeting of a couple of things. I wonder if in a way you get married and you know yourself. I mean, we were getting married in our 30s, right? Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. You know who you're getting and, and you know who he's self. getting. Yeah, okay, that's right, right. That's right. So it was like we walked in like having some knowledge of self. I think it takes several years before you know who the us is. Mm. Right. Like we registered and picked out all these dishes. And I tell him all the time, those dishes aren't us. But we didn't know when we uh, were engaged yet yes. that that wasn't uh, that wasn't going to be our style, right? Yes. Like we didn't know those things. But I think also, I always used to tell people that your twenties is its own puberty, and there are feelings I'm trying to process about what the thirties are doing because it doesn't feel like puberty to me. But I do feel like by the time you've been with someone seven years, you're almost like pushing this decade with them. Yeah, but with yourself, but also with yourself. Yeah, and so I That's think a part of it is that you're experiencing two people growing, becoming, changing, deciding they want to be doing different things, mm-hmm. maybe or mm-hmm. whatever. And I think that some of the almost like a. I don't want to say growing pains, but like that's some of the tension mm-hmm. that I think comes up. And we totally felt that because yeah. I think by the time we'd been at seven years married, I was like, I don't know if I like where my career's headed. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think I would rather reshape some things in our business. And he was like, well, I think I would too. Yeah. You know, so I think there were some shifts happening in both of us that can show up in fights mm. and arguments and conflict. Mm-hmm. But if you weather it, at least in our case, I'll say, if we weathered that, it was just us needing to like give each other space to grow right yeah. there yeah. and have those hard conversations, yeah. right? I'm making up this stat. I don't, but purely because I don't remember who said it, but some I read somewhere that people change every five years. You kind of become a new version of you every five years. And so when you get married, you are saying, I will marry you now, but I'll marry the you in five years right. and the you in five years. Mm-hmm. And, and I can see that in friendship. I mean, even yeah. in our friendship, I yeah. go, yeah, we're pretty different than we were five years it's ago. It's true. Both of us, but we still are here. Yeah. And so I, I'm I'm interested in that as a woman in my late thirties, figuring marriage is on the horizon, but probably I'll never probably be a wife at 28. 
right. That part. <laughs> that seems neither to, did I. That seems to have And passed. I thought it was a perfect age too. Yeah, I was looking right? at God like, uh, tick tick, hey. Oh, listen, my mom got married at 26. And when she told me that it when I was 16 or 17, I was like, Ooh, that's a long time to wait. Had I known. Oh, girl. <laughs> Had Girl. someone told 17-year-old Annie, Mm-mm. she'd have had some different, some different feelings. That part. I mean, <laughs> it's just something <laughs> else. I would wonder if some of your experience in the evangelical church that has changed so much in the last four or five years came about because there's an assumption of you being a black woman married to a white man, of how you fit into the white evangelical space. That's an interesting question. I have every now and then I feel like people will ask me different questions about that. But I think whenever I get questions about that, it's typically not from white people. It's other people of color that are like, how do you do that? But Matt and I have talked about this and we've talked to other interracial couples that being an interracial couple in this season of time in America is different even than when Matt and I got married. You oh, know, when go we there. got married. President Obama was president. It was all the hope and change. And we still were not a couple that was just, you know, plugs our ears, closes our eyes to some of those hard conversations, you know. So we were still having what we thought at that time were these tough conversations that normally if you want to just like feel your in love feelings, you just don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Like you don't talk about where you stand politically and you don't talk about, you know, these different, you know, issues, what your opinions are. You don't talk about that because that's going to ruin your in love feelings. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we were in our thirties. We both had been through therapy by that point. So it was like, Hey, we need to go ahead and talk about it because I'm here to have a real relationship. Right. And if we got to like sit here and disagree, then mm-hmm. let's do that versus mm-hmm. like holding hands and having a great time because mm-hmm. we're not having a real conversation. Yeah. A while ago, I was saying to some friends that me and this dude, I said we were grown up flirting. Like we were flirting, yeah. but we were like talking about real things because yeah. <laughs> we just don't, we're not like playing around. No. And so we're not doing the like 16 year old version of this. We're doing the 37 year old version of this or 35 year old version of this mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, cause ain't nobody got time now. Right. I connect with that emotion of like, I mean, yeah, well you just really went to the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, I told a group of students last night, I was like, uh, basically what it is is you get to a point in your thirties and your forties where you're like, um, I enjoy myself. Yeah. I enjoy my company. I can go to Chili's by myself and have a great time. I can go to the movies by myself and have a great time. So this relationship better be about more than just having company. Come on. Because I'm having a great time. Yes. I polished my nails already. I uh-huh. got like a nice, you know, face mask going today. Like have something else to bring. Yeah. Because we you better enjoy be better. ourselves. You better be better than what I put together myself. <laughs> yes. Because like, I'm having a great time with what I put together. Yes. That's it. You know. Yes. So I don't think, I don't think white evangelical Christians have had as many questions or maybe they have had assumptions and they just didn't say, Mm. but more so people of color, especially now in the last uh, few years have asked like, how do you navigate that as a couple? How do you have those conversations? But I think also because I was in white evangelical space so long before I got married that I started there at 22, it was kind of like by the time we were getting married, I'd already had this established brand and career by then. So, I mean, there would still be places we travel where like we'd walk into the church or whatever. And then people would see like some, some like random black man way in the corner of the room. And they'd be like, Oh, your husband. (laughs) I'd be like, um, I'm sure that man is a wonderful man. 
However, this redheaded man is the man that I married. We're here together. He probably has a great wife. Yes, he's probably awesome. We're just not married. Right. I couldn't even tell you his name. I'm married to this person. Also, I don't go to church here. You go to church here. So why you don't know Mm. that black man's name or know him well enough to know that we're not married is for you to think about in your own time. Yeah. But this redheaded guy is the one I'm here with. <laughs> I uh, Speaking of churches, I've heard such good things about your church in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. Oh, My friend I Amanda goes there as well, you know? Yes, Amanda. yes. Um, I just hear such hope coming out of y'all's yeah. worship together. Yeah. Oh, I love our church. And it's totally different from most of the churches I've been to in my life. It's smaller. It's... It's no smoke machines. Yeah. It's no fancy lights and all that. It's communion every Sunday. It's the doxology. Like our pastor and our executive pastor, like they they don't do like a sermon series on like mm-hmm. a topic. It's like we going through the book of Genesis. Yeah, yeah. So y'all just sit down and open <laughs> and up. just like yeah. if it takes us a year, yeah, yeah. then that's how this is gonna go. Right. We were laughing because we stayed in the book of Acts for like. A year or so. Oh my gosh. And I remember Mother's Day came up and I was with my mom at her church uh-huh. and Matt was at our church running sound. And I said, babe, so how was the message? I was like, it's Mother's Day. He was like, book of Acts. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, pastor, like honored the women. Uh-huh. He was like, for women in our communities uh-huh. who do the mothering, which yes. I also appreciated, right? Yes. And then he's like, let us turn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're sticking to the it book acts. of Acts, yeah. you know, which doing what I do for a living, which is mm-hmm. so similar to what you do, I needed that type of church yeah. community. And yeah. our church is very multi ethnic, but also doing the work of what that means. I think yeah. um, sometimes when we talk about um, multi ethnic churches and diversity, a lot of that's like, how can we make this look like? all these different people of different colors are here, but then we're still not having the conversations. And I love that about our church too, mm-hmm. that we're mm-hmm. getting to talk about privilege and about racism, about white supremacy, about sexism. We're going to talk about some of that stuff and how we can be good neighbors yeah. to each other, what it looks like to be good neighbors. Mm-hmm. Like that's my jam. Like at this season of my life, I, I actually... I found another church in Atlanta that I was going to go to, and it was still predominantly white. There were more people of color there than there had been in years before, but we just needed to find a church after Matt wasn't a youth pastor anymore, and I was like, I bet I can do it. And then- (laughs) I can find one. Give me that Google. (laughs) uh, We had already visited there, and I was like, I bet I can survive it, Uh, whatever. And then uh, the Charleston Nine were murdered, Uh and that- made me say I can't go to a church like that because if it's an act of revolution to be in a black church and be able to breathe and be alive yeah then I need to go to a church that's not just doing multi-ethnic work for the look of it for the aesthetics right and so finding our church um, was really a godsend yeah yeah have you seen the documentary that Steph Curry did about the Charleston Nine? No, I haven't watched it. Some things, some things like that in this season of time, Annie. I some of them I can't watch right now because mm-hmm. it's just really too tender for me. Sure, some things. 
So I haven't seen that documentary yet, but that that moment where those nine people's lives were taken, where they were murdered, that moment did a lot of things to me still. Do you have words for it? I think a part of it was having grown up attending a black church Mm -hmm. and how welcoming of a space it always was and knowing that any black church I'd attended in my life would have welcomed him. Yes. Just the same. Yep. They'd welcome me. If I walked in tomorrow night to a Wednesday night Bible study in a black church, they would let me in. No question. And that welcoming, um, being trampled over and trampled is really not even the heaviest word I need to use there. And I will say since then, I've been doing a lot of this genealogy work and my, I have a lot of uh, church history on my dad's side of the family, mm-hmm. Pentecostal holiness, bishops and elders and ministers. Yeah. My great grandfather was a bishop in the Pentecostal holiness church, in North Carolina. And he also built pulpit furniture. He did this, and my grandfather and my grandfather's brothers, okay. they were all like working together in a business. Yeah. So the last time I was in my parents' hometown, I went back to find the original church where my great-grandfather preached because oh, wow. the furniture was still there. Yeah. And so my grandmother, I think, no, my grandmother wasn't with us. My mom was in the car, and we were just driving around her hometown, and she's just kind of hoping Is this like, in Georgia? In North Carolina. Okay, sorry, sorry, you said that, sorry. And uh, my mom is just like, turn this way, turn this way. And so we like- Like just trust in our guts that, to remember. Yeah, we yeah, can find it. Amazing. And so we find the church. It's not the actual church itself, like moved to a new building, but the church building that has a new church in it, if that makes sense, new church community is there, but the church building is still there. And so we went there and it's still this predominantly black church there. And they were ending what looked like maybe like a carnival or something that they'd had for the kids. And so we're walking in, me, my mom, and my husband. And I remember this moment of walking in with my husband and seeing the worry on their faces when he walked in. And immediately, like, wanting to explain why we were there, you know, asking their permission to be there, telling them that my great-grandfather had preached in that church, had built the furniture there, and I wanted to have their permission to go into the sanctuary. Mm. And so there's an older black woman there who said, what was your grandfather's name? And I said, oh, his name was Bishop J.D. Brown. And she said, oh, when I was growing up, that was our sister church, your great-grandfather's church. And she said, let me go ask the pastor. And so she went. And, you know, for Matt, just feeling the weight of being of being there in that building as a white man, seeing the fear, you know, and the worry on their faces. There were only a few people left kind of like breaking things down. And so this little black woman came back and she said, our pastor said, it's okay, come into the sanctuary. And it went into the sanctuary and see, I could cry telling you about it, and see the original pulpit with those exquisite wood etchings that my great-grandfather, same, same one that he built, because it was big, heavy furniture. Yeah. So when the churches moved, they didn't take the furniture with them. Right. So like the the cushions in the pulpits had been redone. Sure. But um, not the pulpits, the pews, the pews rather. Right. Um, but the pews were built by my great-grandfather and my uncles and my grandfather, the in remembrance of me, right. communion table, like all that wood in there. Oh, my God. So uh, to sit at the intersection of history, you know, my family history, and just that 
moment that had just recently happened that summer, you know, in North Carolina was really gut-wrenching and had some beauty to it that, you know, there's a lot about my dad's side of the family that I don't know, but I got to be in this building with these things they made with their hands, you know, and to feel connected to that was so beautiful, you know. And maybe the line didn't tie this tightly, but I feel like what you said was after the Charleston Nine, you dug into your genealogy. Well, I started digging into my genealogy after the History Channel did like a new version of Roots. This yes. was like a few yes, years yes, ago, yes. right? Okay. And I, I just was fascinated with Alex Haley as a child. I uh-huh. mean, my dad used to have this like extensive VHS collection. And so I watched Roots as a child one summer when I was like 12 or 13. And I was like, I want to grow up and be like Alex Haley. I want to like look up my ancestry. But at that time, how could you do it, right? So then when the newer version came out, I was like, I'm doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so I got all signed up on the things yeah. and did all this research and made it back to my fourth great-grandparents on wow. both sides, uh, which was just fascinating. I learned all these things. Did it all stay in the United States or were you able to trace back to Africa? Well, I did a DNA test, so I was able to. It's it's a weird experience doing genealogy as far as I've gotten because you always reach this gap, right? So once <laughs> right. I got back to like my fourth great-grandparents, I think on one branch of the tree, I got back to my fifth great-grandparents. And that's because I had a couple of ancestors that owned land and were free before emancipation. Wow. Which is a fascinating yeah. fact to know. In like, North Carolina? In North Carolina. I have an Come ancestor on. named Caroline. Black woman. Let's go, Caroline. Widowed owned land in 1850 in North Carolina. How in the world? Now, of course, there's all these things about that time of history right. that I'm like, how can this be? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, I, I'm like, Caroline, where are you? I wish yeah, I could Caroline, just... Caroline, we got questions. Tell me everything, girl. Are you the bravest woman we don't like, know? Like, oh my gosh, yes. you know. So I think because that was happening, um, they were showing up on other documents, got it. right? yes. But for my ancestors who were enslaved during that time... Once you get back to your fourth great-grandparent, you lose them right. because their names aren't showing up anymore. Right. You're seeing slave schedules, and maybe you can tell the county where they were. Maybe you can tell what age they would have been. So mm. you might be able to kind of guesstimate, oh, I bet where it says Negro, female, nine years old, that that's my ancestor. Right. But there are no names there. And the only way that you can find the names is in the will of the slave owners, which are held mostly as private documents by the families. Mm. So if the families, the white families never release this will that they typically have in some someplace somewhere of their great grandfather, whoever, in the will, it would say, bequeaths Caroline, yeah, bequeaths these names. And right. then we would have that to match. But a lot of my friends who've done genealogy like me, you go to reach out to what would be the white sometimes are your white family members, even though they are your family members oh, by sure. rape. Right? Yes. You reach out to them on whatever family tree thing you're using. Or, yeah, whatever it is. And they don't write back. Mm-hmm. Every now and then they do, but sometimes the shame. Yeah, that's a question that I would love for you to answer because I do know that in my line we were slave owners at one point. What's my right next move? Do I find those families? All that's available. We aren't hiding anything. What's my right next move to try to make it right? 
Is that language off? I'm sorry if that language is even off. A little asking. bit. Well, I think in a way I can't answer for you. Okay. What that next move is for you. But I do think it's good for white people in America to look into their ancestry too. Mm-hmm. Because I think in this, in I can't say in the same way, but in a similar way as to how it affects me, knowing the people that I come from, it's different, but I'm going to make a correlation here that I can look at how those people survived Mm -hmm. and I can find a lot of inspiration Mm -hmm. and a lot of hope and joy in the people that I've come from. You know, I think that the work of genealogy regarding the history of slavery has been looked at like, oh, that's good for black people to do so they can know a little bit more about where they come from. Mm -hmm. But it's, not as often that you hear white people talking about, I have looked into this to stare it in the face, to look and see the name of my ancestor on a slave schedule Mm -hmm. and how many slaves they owned Mm -hmm. and what wealth that meant, whether your family ends up wealthy or not. And what wealth that means for me. Yeah. How it trickles down to you. Yes. So I can't answer for you what the next right move is, but I think looking into that history and knowing it Mm And doing the work of that research and not glossing over it, Mm -hmm. I think that's a good thing. I wish more uh, white Americans did that because sometimes people are like, oh, no, my people, no, we would never own slaves. And then you look back into it and you're like, oh, we did. Or maybe we didn't, but we worked in this type of environment or we worked for this type of place, which still benefited from, you know, like, I'll give you an example. I was just, we just had... Unfortunately, a family member passed away. But whenever that happens, my grandmother is the last living matriarch in our family. Ah, So I always use that as my chance. I love the women in your family. Everything. (laughs) She is. She's all. If people haven't followed you on Instagram, she when grandma pops into the Instagram, it's just the best. Her, your mom, and your sister. Your sister's hair. Oh, it's just always. I'm like this girl. Everything. They are so cool. Your whole family's so cool. I don't know what it is. Why I think they're just amazing. We're all so cool. You're all so cool. (laughs) It's the truth. My sister always says my mom must have had cool in her uterus. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. That's exactly right. When she was carrying us. That's whatever. right. So I was talking to my grandmother about, you know, I try to ask her different questions because sometimes when things like that happen in the family, it'll jog her memory uh-huh. to tell me something that'll uh-huh. be a good like clue yep. for our family tree. She tells me this story that my grandmother on my dad's side was a maid. And your she tells me- mother on your dad's on side. On my dad's side, okay. right? So it would have been my great grandmother okay. on my dad's side. My mom's grandmother okay. was a maid. And my grandmother remembered the name of the family she worked for. Oh, wow. And they owned, they were like big time at that area of North Carolina. They owned a mill. Mm -hmm. Well, then like I went to following that. And like later on, they weren't doing like cornmeal anymore. They went into poultry Mm -hmm. and became like one of the big names of poultry today. Oh, wow. Right. So it's like even those things you look at and you're like, well, you know, maybe maybe, you know, my family members, they didn't own slaves. Well, you know, here's my grandmother, my great grandmother, like working as a domestic for this family Mm -hmm. that is surely making money from the backs Mm -hmm. of black people. Mm 
you know, and like now we look at some of these big name like chicken and turkey producers, right? And how they were able to flip that money from like, oh, this cornmeal business we had to like now we become billionaires Mm -hmm. doing this. But my great grandmother did not receive those same dividends Mm -hmm. from cleaning their house and whatever her ancestors did before her. So I think it's good for us to stare at our history, Mm -hmm. to know it and look at it, because then we can excuse uh, ourselves. We can't excuse uh, even the things that our forefathers and foremothers, you know, air quotes in this country did. Um, we can't excuse what that was, what white people did when they attempted to found a country that was already here as many nations, mm-hmm. you know. So I think it's good to stare that stuff in the face. It's hard, mm-hmm. but it's good. The hermitage here, which was Thomas Jefferson's home, has uh, changed their one of their speeches that they give. In the end, the woman says, um, a question we get a lot is, but what if my ancestors were good slave owners? Boy. And what if my, and their answer is, there is no such thing yeah. as a good slave owner. Yeah. And that is a um, harsh reality because you'd like to believe, as a white woman, I'd like to believe that my ancestors all the sentences that cannot be true, treated them fairly and did it. Annie, they were slaves. Annie, they weren't paid to be there. Annie, they were sold. And, and so it is, it is good and hard to look at that stuff and go, there is something for me to do with that information. Yep. In 2019, Mm -hmm. there is something for me to do with that. And so we shall. Yeah. Right. Yep. Hey friends, just interrupting this podcast with Amina to tell you about our sponsor, Function of Beauty. Okay, listen, I've been using this shampoo and conditioner for a couple of weeks now, and I love it. Beauty isn't one size fits all, so why should your hair care be? Function of Beauty individually formulates each and every one of its products based on your unique hair type, hair goals, and aesthetic preferences like color and fragrance so that your hair gets exactly what it needs and looks and feels its best. Function of Beauty addresses all your hair care needs, not just one. Most drugstore brands only address a single hair concern like volumize or color protection and ultimately make you choose between the two. But with Function of Beauty, you can choose up to five hair goals and add to your formulation. That means you no longer have to sacrifice your hair goals just because your shampoo said so. Function of Beauty is the world's first and most custom shampoo. There are over, get this, 54 trillion combinations possible. Function of Beauty individually formulates every bottle based on your hair type and your hair goals and the scent you like, the color you like, whether you want it dye-free or fragrance-free. And the products are so personalized, you can even print your name on the bottle. Mine does say Annie F on my bottle of shampoo and my bottle of conditioner. I also love that they are safe and natural ingredients. The Function of Beauty never uses any sulfates, parabens, mineral oils, or any other harmful ingredients in any of its products. And plus, they're 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I love. As for me, I have absolutely loved my shampoo. The shampoo is pink and the conditioner is green. Like they're both kind of like 
soft pastel colors so I can keep them apart. And I really cared about having strength and shine. And that is what I ordered up when I filled out the form online for Function of Beauty. And so far, I've absolutely loved it. I like the scent. I like the way my hair feels. And this shampoo is amazing. It doesn't take much to get my hair clean every day. And I'm just really loving it. So listen, friends, Function of Beauty is giving you 20% off your first shampoo conditioner set. So just head to functionofbeauty.com slash that sounds fun and take their hair quiz. It ships anywhere in the U.S. and many locations worldwide. You just go to functionofbeauty.com slash that sounds fun and get 20% off your custom formula. I hope you guys will try it. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts. And now back to the show with Amina. Tell me about the church. <laughs> tell me, <laughs> tell me about. It's such an easy transition, right? Let's go. I love an easy transition. Let's go. I would love to hear your your experience with the church is changing, and your availability to the church is changing in a lot of ways because of your experience. Tell me a little bit about that, man. I'm, I really think a lot of that I'm still processing. Yep. Honestly, yeah, only tell um, us what you've gotten through. <laughs> yeah, right. That part. And then come back in a year <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, Do you like I have... how my shoulders are covered in makeup from crying. You know what? It's great. I respect Bless the Lord. Sometimes it just is like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're processing stuff. You got to let right. all that stuff get out of there. You That's know? right. Well, I think, and I've, I've talked to a few people about this that started out very young uh-huh. working in white conservative evangelical space, you know, and there are a small number of us that that's like our story. Right. And I think black women. Well, for us, I think there's a small number of people that it's like, I know that they were entering this space around the same time I was even some white friends that I have that are just really good friends and great community to me. And so I know that they understand like what that era of time was when it was like the early two thousands and, you know, some of us, you know, those of us that are close to age, like you and me, we were just getting out of college and trying to figure out what you were going to do. And the fact that I had an opportunity to do spoken word poetry as a career, right? that was a big surprise. I was like, yay. You know, I was totally looking forward to that. I actually had a really big thought and I, I I got to tell a little bit of this to Michael and Lisa Gunger, but it was like, their last tour that they did uh-huh. as Gung- as the Gunger Band. And I went to it. I wasn't performing or anything. Propaganda was with them. Yeah. The brilliance was with them. I went just because for me, you know, that was my first bus tour that I ever did was uh-huh. with Gunger. And so I was like, well, I kind of got to go and like, you know, say my goodbyes <laughs> to yeah, this. Sure. And I watched them on stage singing some of the music that I'd known, singing some of the music I knew in these different ways, singing music I'd never heard. And I called a friend of mine who has been in this as long as me. And I was crying calling her after the mm-hmm. show. And I told her that watching them reminded me of a really good thing, which is that we can evolve. We are allowed to. We're yeah. allowed to evolve. You know, we're allowed to grow and spread our wings and as artists, writers, communicators to sharpen our craft, to think about the lens through which we make what we make, to think about why we do it and who we do it for. And that as we grow and become and change, those things will shift. Mm. And I looked at them and it gave me 
a lot of hope for myself. And I feel like that's really where I am as an artist. You know, I walked in to this market, air quotes, if I can use that word here. Yeah. I walked into this market that, you know, it's a Christian market. You know, we're using words like ministry, but there's money on the table. There's contracts taking place. There's all that stuff. I was 22. Right. I was just happy to be invited. $5? Yes. Mm. I would love to come. Mm. I would love to come and talk for 30 hours for uh-huh. $5 uh-huh. just because you've asked me to come That's talk, right. you know? And when you start, listen, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, I, was I was the same like, way. I was like, that sounds great. I know, yeah. And I was doing worship, poetry, if I could use that term. I was doing more poetry that would go in a worship set at that mm-hmm. time. And then I just kept writing, Annie. And it wasn't just like air quotes, worship stuff that was yeah, coming out. Yeah. And then less and less, there was like no worship stuff coming out. Mm. So then it was like, well, what does that mean? Right. And where do I belong now? You know, And what if I say things that are gonna alienate these people that have been asking me to come to their churches and come to their events? But I've always been a person, Annie, for better and for worse. I just can't write to trend. Right. I just oh I for better. Just, it's got to be for better. I can't do it, and I know some people who are darn good at that. Right, yeah. like it's not a soulless thing for them. They're like, okay, I see this topic is trending. I know how to articulate this. I know how to write about that. I just don't have the gift. Mm-hmm. I don't have that part. Mm-hmm. I can only be centered on what's coming out. Yeah, right. And like whatever's coming out is what I need to write. Mm-hmm. I can't as much be like, oh, Valentine's Day is coming up. <laughs> I get better a quick poem out about that. I better write a thing. <laughs> about that. <laughs> you know, I just, I don't do well with it, Annie. Uh-huh, I don't. Uh-huh. So I've always been my favorite Langston Hughes quote when he says, go home and write a page tonight and let that page come out of you. Mm-hmm. Then it will be true. I've always been that way. Yes. So I'm like, however the work's going to come out, let it come out. And in my thirties, it's coming out funny Yes. and it's coming out a little irreverent sometimes. And I worried, well, where's the space for that, you know, that's different than my 22-year-old self. And yeah. I think watching Michael and Lisa on stage that night, I was like, and good. Because I'm not 22 anymore. Yeah, I'm 39. I've lived a lot of life. I've experienced the depths of grief. I've experienced the, ty- the type of depression that makes you not want to get out of bed mm-hmm. in the morning. I've experienced great joy. I've fallen in love in my life many times. Like I have so much life to express and I want to give myself the room to do it. Yeah. You know? In a lot of different spaces. Yeah. 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 And it doesn't, for me, it doesn't change that I love Jesus. It doesn't change that my following the way of Christ is what I always hope and pray. Yeah is the center of who I am and what I do. And I can love Jesus and really be ministered to by Cardi B. And I'm going to love Jesus and talk about this. That's how I feel about Lizzo. Listen! That that is some gospel stuff. She may (sighs) say some bad words, but that is some gospel stuff. I'm here for it. She ministers to me. And sometimes I'm like, are bad words not the gospel? But you know, you didn't bring me here to talk about that. (laughs) Anyway... Yeah, we'll talk about Peter a different time. That's right. But, you know, just giving myself the room to yeah. evolve and accepting whatever that means. So, again, an interesting day for you to be here because I've walked away from something that I love today. And because it is right and good and the right next move for me. 
And you said before we started that when you started to walk away from this, you had this fear that there would not be a space for you. Yeah. Tell the other side, tell the, and then. (laughs) The and then, bless our hearts. So uh, the beginning of this year, gosh, it feels like two years and one. But the beginning of this year, I went to a black woman retreat and I was very intentional about this, Annie, because Uh I was like, I need to go to a place that's for black women, that's by black women, where black women can teach me, equip me for my business and my calling and my work. So I went to this retreat. Was it faith-based or no? It was, how can I describe that? I would say it was not faith-based, but I think some of the women that put it on were Christians. So there was still this talk of like spirituality, spiritual practice, but there was some openness for the people who, the women who were attending that, Mm -hmm. that may not be their context of faith or belief, right? So I went to this and there was a healing circle at this event. And I grew up Pentecostal, so I'm normally a little like, what y'all gonna do in the healing circle? Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> like, what y'all gonna be doing to me? Because that's I don't, right. I just don't want you if to hee baba. Modesty blanket. I'm not interested. Yeah, like, <laughs> are you gonna hee baba on me? Because there's like certain people's hee baba that I trust, uh-huh. but like, if I don't know your hee baba, right. like, I don't want you to hee baba <laughs> towards me or in my direction. But I just felt like, ooh, girl, you need some healing. Go take yourself to the healing circle. Yeah. So anyway, every woman could share her story. And I shared mine and cried my eyes out and talked about all my things. And this black woman who was facilitating the circle looked at me in my face. I told you this before we started recording. She looked at me and she said, the space where you work is traumatizing you. Mm-hmm. And she said, you need to get out. She said, there are plenty of other places for you to have a career, make a living, but you need to get out. And I knew what she was saying was true. I knew it before she said it, but it was like her saying it to me gave me that like, all right. Permission. Like now. But then I went into anxiety. I spent the first like quarter of the year just like, I don't seem to fit where I started. But then I look at where maybe I could go, question mark. And I'm like, do I fit over there? And then like, nobody knows me over there. Nobody knows anything about me. Like, do I just walk up? Is there some room? I go and I walk up and I'm like, hey, guys, I also have some talents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Look at me. Look at me. I'd like to do here. So I was just in that quandary of like knowing things needed to change, Mm -hmm. that I needed to change. But also looking ahead and just seeing like murkiness, like Mm -hmm. I just don't know what this is going to be. So I'm just, you know, at home in my anxieties and not sleeping well and all the things. And I get this email (laughs) through my website that's like, hi, Amina, I work for a creative agency in New York. We are representing a black female celebrity client who is releasing a natural hair care brand. Mm -hmm. And we would like you to write something soulful and poetic for her to say on some of these promotional items. And I was like, you a lie. <laughs> I was like, and then I was like, what you mean by black female celebrity Sir. client? Yeah. I was like, who is it? You're like, is it Oprah? Is it somebody from Big Brother? Right, like, please. What? Right, like, what, yeah. what am I dealing with? You right. know, and it could be, you know, some people are like local to a place. Like, people uh-huh. are like local to Nashville and it's like, in Nashville, I am a celebrity. That's right. But then you go somewhere else and people in Pittsburgh are like, we don't know yeah. who that person is. <laughs> we don't know them. So that's what I was expecting. But I was like, sure, sure, I'll do this anyway. Were they paying you up front? I've, I've been wondering this when I've watched your story. I'm like, did they pay you up front at that point? No, they put in the message the pay. Okay. And I was like, nothing to sneeze at. Uh Uh-huh. Nothing to quit one's job. Sure, 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 sure. (laughs) Over, but enough to write back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is enough to 
right respond back. to that email. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, maybe it's not a scam. Because normally if it's a scam, they would have started talking about how much exposure uh, you were yeah, getting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or how something many, like that. The size of the audience. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, they didn't say that. So anyway, like my manager calls, she talks, she talks. And then it comes down to it after we sign the non-disclosures. Because that's when we were like, my manager called back and said, they would like to move forward with you. But they need both of us to sign non-disclosures. And she was like, and I'm pretty sure this is somebody that's important. Yeah. If we're being asked to sign NDAs this early. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. And so, then you're like, I am so in. If right. I was like, me an NDA for sure. I was like, this is fascinating. Uh-huh. So sign all that stuff. And she calls me back and says, do you want to know who it is? And I'm like, of course I want to know. Uh-huh. She's like, guess. And I was like, it's Beyonce. She was like, no. <laughs> Because I had to just start right there, Annie. Right, you know how I feel about Beyonce. I do know. Because I was like, Beyonce. if it's Beyonce, then I have to like quit work for three months. Because I just I have to contemplate to my think. life and yeah. just I don't know. I got you. And she was like, no, it's not Beyonce. And I was like, is it Oprah? And she was like, no. And I said, is it Michelle Obama? And she was like, no. Because that's kind of like the triumvirate of Black womanhood. Agreed. It's like you kind of got to say those three names right there. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of room to freak out. There's a lot of amazing Black women, but like those three right there, I need to know. Mount Rushmore. I need to know yeah, that right here right. off the top, so that's I can right. know. Do I lose my voice and scream? Like, uh-huh, what am I doing? Uh-huh. She was like, "It's not that. It's not that. It's not that." I was like, "Is it Solange?" She was like, "It's not her." And I was like, "Okay." And she was like, "What rhymes with boss?" And I was like, "I don't know." So my mom's in the car. My mom's like, "Diana Ross." <laughs> Diana Ross rhymes with boss. And Celeste was like, yo, mama, it's close. It's Tracy Ellis Ross. Oh, my God. I got out of the car. I was at a Starbucks headed to a gig uh-huh. with my mom and grandma in the car. Uh-huh. I got out of the car and ran around in front of Starbucks and cussed like my mom and my grandma uh-huh. couldn't hear me. Uh-huh. And next thing I know, two weeks later, I'm there in the room with Tracy. New York her, or L.A.? New York. Okay. Reading her what I'd written. She had she had gotten a conference call with me and just told me like her whole vision for pattern and what which she wanted it to do, which is, the, which is the brand yeah. and what she wanted it to do and her vision for it. And like, she just told me all the things that she'd written. She read them out loud to me on the phone. And I just took notes of the mm-hmm. phrases she said that mm-hmm. kind of stood out to mm-hmm. me. And then she was like, you write, but don't send it to me in advance because I want us to have the footage filming you and me like working on this. Got it. So then I was immediately like hung up the phone and like went to shop because I was like, okay, what will I, was, I, wear I was prepared tra- to be dressed yeah. to just sit in the room, <laughs> but now I got to be prepared to be dressed sitting next to you uh-huh. on camera. We don't know. Uh-huh. So I had to go get all the outfits, more things that were necessary. For sure. Anyway, get there and I read her what I'd written. Uh-huh. And she was like, this is epic. She said, it's epic what you've written. And we sat in the room for two hours and just like chiseled and chiseled the piece until like, she was like, I feel good about it. Can you go tonight and do this, write this, do these things and come back and meet me again tomorrow? So I was like, okay. And like walk through New York and like cries and Uh touches the brick. And it's just like, oh my God, Jesus. (laughs) Like all that stuff. Came back and met with her the next day. We met for an hour and then she was like, it's done. I love it. It's finished. It's complete. And just had the chance to collaborate with her and her team over the few months leading up to the launch. So for me, that was crazy. Yeah. Like that was one of those things that like I could not have done for myself. Sure. I couldn't have elbowed my way or... You know, I mean, I have, I think in hip hop terms too, I couldn't have like sent my mixtape, uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. know, and like gotten that door right. to be opened. Right. And one of the things that Tracy said to me and one of my friends was like, you better write that down what she said. The first call I had with her 
after we signed the NDA and she wanted to get on the phone so she could tell me with her team on the phone, like Mm -hmm. what this was, what she wanted me to write. She stopped in the middle and she said, Amina, she said, I'm sorry, I should have started with this. She said, your work is truthful and it's soulful and it's full of joy Mm. and it's full of lightness. And that's why I want to work with you. Wow. And honestly, if she had gone a totally different direction right then, if she had been like, ah, well, we looked and it's not you. We've decided to go with someone else instead. Her saying those words to me, Mm -hmm. like revolutionized me. Because I needed that affirmation and God knew that I needed that affirmation because I was in the middle of the anxiety of, I know what I'm doing with my work. I know what I want my work to do, but I don't know where I go and what's my space and how I don't know. And to hear her say those words back to me, she said back to me what I hope my work is doing. Mm. And if nothing else had happened but that, that was beautiful. And you would have never picked to like, uh, you know, I should call is the woman who stars in Blackish, no. who's the daughter of Diana Ross no. and see if she'll tell me there's a spot for me on no. this planet. Yeah. I, that's what I wanted to ask you is how did that feel like God answering the prayers you didn't even maybe have the words for? Yeah. I, I still feel broken up over yeah. it yeah. in some really good ways because I felt like that was God giving me rescue mm. and saying, I see you. I see these tough spaces that you're in. I see that you feel boxed in. Mm. I see the spaces where you are being asked to be smaller than you are. I see the spaces where you are not being given the space for your wingspan. Mm. One of my really good friends said to me, she said, when you first started out, you know, working in these like predominantly white church spaces, she said, you were a baby bird. So the cage seemed huge to you. And she was like, but now you're not a baby bird anymore. Mm-hmm. You got these big wings and the cage can't hold those wings. Right. Like you need room mm-hmm. to fly. And I felt like that, that's the biggest thing that I felt yeah. God was saying to me. Yeah. Like there is room for you. This is a gift I gave to you. Mm-hmm. I do with it what I want to do. And I have plans for you that are bigger yeah. than you can make for yourself. And I think that's one of the beautiful things for our friends listening to know for their lives, but also when they're watching you is the cage is not your religion or your faith. Yeah. The cage was the church, the white evangelical church. And it was in certain ways, Annie, and I know you know what I mean when I say this, it was the market. Yeah. It was the industry. It was the business. Yeah. Right. It was Mm -hmm. the structure Mm -hmm. and the system Mm -hmm. that was the cage. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't God. That's what I want people to hear. It wasn't Jesus. It was the structure and the system Mm -hmm. that got built around Mm -hmm. some of that, that then there were sort of words used to you in some of those spaces to kind of make it feel like those things are Jesus Mm. and those things are God, Mm -hmm. but those things are not Jesus Yeah, and those things are not God. And I am glad because if that was God, then I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to be yeah. nowhere close to that. Yeah. No. How will you know when your white sisters and brothers are cheering for you? What does that look like? I don't know. I mean, honestly, it's almost like the context of the question is not a way that I would view it. Maybe I would turn, it's like if it's like a lazy season, yeah, spin it. maybe I would be turning that around to think differently. I think 
I think I have, and I'm thankful for this, that I have a small number of white friends in my life that are doing their own personal work, that they're not looking to coffee with me to be what helps them know they're not racist. To be their only out yeah, on to education. Be like yeah. the place where they can ask me all the questions. Mm-hmm. I am watching them do their own work do their own reading, you know, for those of them that are Christians, do their own repenting. Mm -hmm. And because they're doing that work, I watch them show up for me Mm. in ways that I didn't have to say. And I didn't have to tell them, I didn't have to have a workshop on how you're going to do these things. I watch them on days that things might happen in the news that they know might be hard for me watch them text me and just say, you know, sometimes it's a lot of cuss words. Uh-huh. That's what my friend and I do, you know, we cuss with each other. Yeah. But sometimes I just send me a text, says some cuss words in it, says, this sucks. I'm sorry. I'm holding space for you. I see that this is happening. I'm checking in on you. But those are things of my white friends that are close to me that way. Those are things that they're doing because they're it's work they're already doing mm-hmm. in their own souls in their own views of race, in the ways they're checking their privilege, in the ways they are disentangling themselves from white supremacy and white supremacist thought. It's me watching them work Mm. on their own. And that makes our interactions so much better. Mm -hmm. And I've had to learn, you know, for the relationships I will have with white people, the ones who are close to me are doing their own work. Mm -hmm. And for people who are just maybe entering that, I'm like, do your work. Do your work. Let it do what it's supposed to do with you. Mm -hmm. Do the grief. Do the lamenting. Process that. And then we'll see. That's kind of how it has to be Mm -hmm. because it's the actions that say even better than the words. Mm -hmm. You know, I even had a friend of mine recently. She invited me to an event that she was doing. And I went, you know, as a favor to her. And she said, I know you came here as a favor to me. I know this space is very, very white. And I honor that you did this Mm -hmm. because you trusted me to invite you here. Mm -hmm. And even her giving voice to that. I was about to say, I feel the same way about you sitting here because I know this is a very white space for you. And I am so grateful. But the biggest portion of support I get is from women of color. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's Mm -hmm. my, from women of color in general and from black women specifically. Like that's where I'm getting rejuvenated. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm getting the courage, the hope to continue pursuing this work, Mm -hmm. you know, for me in my Christian context to continue wanting to see the way of Christ Mm -hmm. in America and that that is not disconnected from anti-racism. Yeah. Yeah. That that is very much connected to anti-racism. Right. So it's women of color. What women of color are writing stuff that we should be reading? What are your favorite books right now? All. Um, oh, yeah. No, I agree with you. I, just get me started. Get me started. If you'll get me started, Amazon will keep us going. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, we're going to link to your work, but is there other oh, people? Man. Is there other stuff you read recently that you really loved? I mean, Austin Channing Brown. Yeah. Austin Channing Brown as a follow on Twitter. Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here. Mm-hmm. is a wonderful, wonderful resource. She is about to release a fantastic web series and show called The Next Question. Yes. 
that is going to be fantastic. I just recommend her. Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes. Okay. Uh, she wrote a book that I really love called Too Heavy a Yoke that has been a healing place for me. She's got a new book coming out too about uh, racial justice and reconciliation and a womanist approach to racial reconciliation. So I, I ride with her. Obviously, I ride with Latasha Morrison, yeah. who um, is a guest of yours as well. And her book coming out, Be the Bridge. Um, Kathy Kong and her book, Raise Your Voice. Sandra Van Opstel's The Next Worship, I recommend it. Kat Armas has a podcast called The Protagonistas that I recommend. Oh, that's a great title. Um, you better po- you better tell us about your own pod right I here. I know, right? I got to talk about that. Kat Armas is talking about theology and Abuelita theology. Oh, I mean, Vivi Mabuni's got a new podcast where she's interviewing Asian American women. Angie Hong. Caitlin Curtis. I mean, I could just go on and on. And these are just women of color I named who are writing and doing work in a Christian context Mm -hmm. or from their own lives. They are living from a Christian context. That's not even me talking about the amazing work women of color are doing who may not even be doing that, even either in a Christian context, even if they are Christian or who may not be Christians at all and are writing great work. Mm -hmm. So I'm always looking for that. I'm looking for when I go in the room, where are the women of color? If they're not here, why aren't they here? When women of color are putting out books, I want to share and promote those as much as I can. And you do that on her, right? Your podcast. Yeah. So my podcast is called Her with Amina Brown. And initially my goal was to make sure that 80 to 85% of the women I interviewed would be women of color. So okay. that's what I did my first season. And I had a couple of my white women friends that were on as well. And then I got to my second season and I was like, all women of color, mm. all black women, indigenous women, Asian women, Latinas, all. So every season I pick a theme and I find whichever woman of color will agree yeah. <laughs> to talk with me. And I wanted it intentionally not to be a Christian podcast. Sure. Um, I want people, whatever their faith context is, to feel free on my podcast to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And, and because Christianity is my faith, I'm going to be talking about that. But I wanted to be able to invite different voices, whether they were from this context where a lot of people know me or not. And I wanted to invite my listeners to just come into the room and hear this conversation, even if it's not what you're used to hearing, even if it rubs you the wrong way, or it's a thing you've never heard before. Listen to women of color talk about the things, whatever we want to talk about. Listen to them as experts. That's right. As the people who know, and not just know to talk to you about race, but know about leadership and know about art and know about parenting and know about relationships and know about psychology and whatever we want to talk about. So season two, I did the theme Lost and Found. Mm -hmm. And season three, I did the theme Create. And I approached the theme like a poet would. So I might do like Lost a Job, might do like Found a Path, you know, like you can kind of play around like Rubik's Cube, all those different things. And that's one way to do something that's really important to me, which is elevating and celebrating the leadership and work of women of color. Women of color are doing so much work that gets erased, that other people's names end up on the work that they've done. And that's my small thing I can do, you know? Yes, I do know. And I'm grateful. I am um, I am listening. So is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Um, I forgot to talk about my book because I always forget. But if y'all like a book, 
and y'all want to read about my business, yep. it's there in How to Fix a Broken Record. How to Fix a Broken Record. There's, I love it. That's what I told people at the book table. Here's my business. Yes. I welcome you to enjoy. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, while you're pitching all these other books, you are, in fact, a woman of color yeah. who, in fact, has a podcast Here and I books am. and all sorts of things. Here so, I am. So you're welcome to yeah, that. And that if book. you want to know about Annie and I talking about dating, oh, Annie listen. came on there and she was my dating episode for how to fix a broken record <laughs> podcast which only has 10 episodes because yeah. i didn't already put the business in the that's book right. i ain't got time to you when know. you said will you talk about dating i was like no <laughs> and you said i don't care and i said yes ma'am <laughs> i was like i respect it but will you just like be like about put your headphones on and let's just go can you throw some salt yeah. over your shoulder and <laughs> just go it? i did it amina you can ask me to do anything i'm gonna say yes so <laughs> Okay, the last question we always ask. Yes. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun. Yeah. Tell me what you do for fun. Okay, right now I'm watching Married to Medicine. <laughs> I don't know that one. Oh, wait, it's Bravo, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do it's recognize like, it. It's like Real Housewives, but it's like half the cast is doctors uh-huh. and half the cast are married to doctors. Okay. So right now, um, that's one of the things I'm doing that's okay. really fun. I'm also cooking. Are you? Are you into it? Oh, I'm into cooking. Why? Because I just love it so much. I discovered this late in my life, Annie. Mm -hmm. Like in my 30s, I discovered how much I love cooking. Yeah. I've been reading articles talking about how cooking encourages mindfulness. Yes. So sometimes I just like the process of cooking. Then when I make the food, I'm like, other people come eat this. Mm -hmm. So for fun, I'm doing a project where I'm cooking through Edna Lewis's cookbook, The Taste of Country Cooking. (gasps) I know it. Yes. 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 You're cooking through the whole thing. That's like Julie and Julia. Yeah. It's totally like Julie and Julia. It's Amina and Edna. It's Amina and Edna. I've already cooked through the summer because the book's broken up by seasons, seasons, right? So I'm about to go into the fall, and it's been so much fun. I mean, oh, I've been cooking it. with lard. I mean, it's all, you know, it's yeah, all you're our doing southern the old things. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been yeah. canning. I canned some brandied peaches <laughs> over the summer. Yes, you did. I yes. bet she'll have a reason for it in the winter. I bet she'll say, remember those brandied peaches? She'll be like, take these out and make a pie. And, and you'll I'll be, be like, like, I did I'm that. Glad. Mm-hmm. There was a chef on in June named Corey Barrett, and he said, cooking is medicine. Oh, it is. And I thought, man, that is, that has, I've said that, I bet I've said it 20 times since he's been on the show, but. That has stood out to me. I've always wanted to cook through a um, cookbook. That's brilliant. I should do it. I had to limit myself because I'm a person who does too much. Uh I don't know if you are also this person. Mm -hmm. What's your Enneagram number? I think I'm a two, which is the auntieogram. That's what I've turned (laughs) it. Twos are the auntieogram. That's what we're doing. We're auntieing everyone. I think that I wanted to just like quit my job basically and just Mm -hmm. spend the entire time cooking through all the recipes. But Matt was like, we're going to have a talk because <laughs> you get out here trying to cook stuff. And then I'll, I'll be like, I'm going to cook 12 dishes right. today. Right, right, right. And then I cook myself sick. And the grocery lit is $150. First of all. Yeah. And then second of all, by the time it's the next day, I have a cold. Because uh-huh. my body's like, wow, right. stayed on your feet for 24 hours. Yep. Didn't drink water because you were trying to stir that bechamel That's or right. whatever you were doing. Right. So I gave myself three meals. From her cookbook okay. each quarter. Okay. Right? So every season I can do three meals. Okay. And that's it. Good. That's, that's all. Brilliant. I'm partnering with Lyric Lewin, who uh-huh. is a fantastic food and culture writer uh-huh. and photographer. So she's doing all of my photos for this project. So will this be like a project we see when yeah. you're done? Yeah. Oh, good. It, there's going to be like a page on the website that will have like, here are the lessons I've learned. Oh, I can't with wait. lard. Yeah. And, Things. Okay. So that's the stuff watch. I'm doing that's fun and cooking. Amazing. <laughs> I love you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for being my friend. 
Thank you, Annie. Thank you for Beautiful. having me and, and doing this today when I we were both it. in our feelings. Ah, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Oh, you guys, isn't she the best? What a great person to celebrate today with. She asked some hard questions and we talked about some hard stuff and I am just thankful. I'm thankful for her because as so many people have told us as we've been on this journey of making sure the podcast better reflects the kingdom of God, relationship first, friendship first. And I am thankful for Amina and her husband in a million ways um, in our friendship first. So I hope you enjoyed it as well today. Make sure you give her a follow to her. Thanks for being on the show. If you need anything else from me, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. You know this. Annie F. Downs, F as in friendship, because I'm thankful for my friendship with Amina. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you can need me. That is how you will find me. Hey, remember, as you are starting your Black Friday thinking and Black Friday shopping and Cyber Monday coming up, we've got a big deal for you from Able. That Sounds Fun 25 will get you 25% off and free shipping from livefashionable.com. As well as remember, we're kicking off 100 Days to Brave in January. If you have not gotten a copy of that book and want to read along with us, do that. And also just want to remind you, only the first 700 people who fill out the form we mentioned on November 23rd about being in my new book called That Sounds Fun will get to be featured in the book. So make sure you go back to grab that episode, get that link and fill out that form. And even once we pass 700, we're going to come up with some other fun ways to get everybody involved. So keep filling out that form. We want our podcast listeners. I really, really want every podcast listener that wants to be in the book to be in the book. So I think that's it for me today. So many announcements on your Thanksgiving. I hope you watched the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I hope you enjoyed it. And now Christmas, as you heard with the music, Christmas officially starts here on That Sounds Fun. We are having a big That Sounds Fun Christmas party as we do every year. Tons of fun guests. Of course, we're talking about Hallmark. And of course, the big man himself is stopping by. Don't you worry about that. Make sure you grabbed a copy of Phil Wickham's new album, Christmas. He actually will kick off our 12 Days of Christmas starting on December 13th, but we got shows between now and then. You guys, we got a lot, a lot, a lot of time to hang out coming up this month. So go out and do something that sounds fun to you. I will do the same, and we will see you back here on Monday with my new friend who I am like so into and super obsessed with his music, Zach Williams. You guys, I can't wait for you to hear this one. See you on Monday. Have a great weekend. <laughs>